we have James Corbett with us. James, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's it's great to have you. And I know we're going to be getting into some interesting topics tonight. Um, one of the things that we see in the wake of the Florida school shooting, as we were talking about in the, the first hour, is how they've paraded these children around. And, and these children have become part of this political movement to blame President Trump and ban guns. But this is just one indicator in a much larger uh, enemy media narrative where we've seen the media has become weaponized against the American people. And I know you're going to talk about ways that uh, a number of outlets from social media to the mainstream media narratives are created. And this is basically information warfare. This is psychological warfare at its finest. So just your initial thoughts, I'd like to, to ask you, what, what do you make of these kids being paraded around touting gun control? They're, they're creating these marches and rallies all over the place. They're raising money. Apparently, you can't criticize them because they're victims of this uh, you know, horrible event that happened. But they're, they're getting very political, even though they're not even old enough to vote. What, what's going on with this? Well, that's right. You raised two very important points there, one of which is the politicization of, if not children, I mean, at least young adults, shall we say, who are not uh, in this, in uh, even able to vote. So certainly not able to be politically part of the system in that way, but they are being politicized, clearly, and their message is, is being politicized for certain partisan gains, and I think that is reprehensible um, uh, in and of itself. But then secondarily on top of it, I mean, we know 100% as a documented fact, it is a phenomenon that when the media gives attention to things like school shootings, that increases the possibility, the probability that there will be copycats in the future. So by even if we accept everything about this story, it's all at face value, you know, exactly what they said happened, happened, then still making it into a media story like this in order to push a partisan agenda is actually encouraging more people to do so. And we know this from all sorts of different uh, phenomena, but from, specifically from suicides. The more you report on suicides, the more they will happen. And uh, the uh, German media back in uh, a couple of decades ago started uh, stopped reporting whatsoever on people committing suicide on uh, in, uh, in subways or on trains, train tracks. And lo and behold, the number of people doing that plummeted. Uh, again, media gives this oxygen, so it's uh, it's doubly reprehensible that this sort of thing happens in the wake of every tragedy of any kind, whether you know real, fake, staged, or or you know miscellaneous other. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and 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 let's take this into uh, the larger picture of what we've seen with the media, especially. Really, I mean, we've seen this all, all along, but these people are really exposing themselves and showing their true colors since the arrival of Donald Trump and the, you know, the Trump movement in America where we've just seen these networks go completely out of the realm of reality and common sense. They're, they're unhinged. They're, they're creating lies and running with those lies as though they're fact, even though they're provably wrong. And it's almost like they're self-destructing, but they never seem to die. Will there ever be a time when the mainstream media can self-destruct? Will the, powers that be let them how do, how are they able to continue their fraud on the people uh money funding lots and lots of funding yeah certainly there's still lots of money sloshing around there for people who are willing to uh, pro make certain narratives that are uh in line with what the people with that money want to do and i think the obvious um the way that we can see this and the way that it's functioning right now is in the, uh, the takeover of various media outlets by billionaires, perhaps the most obvious example in recent years being Bezos uh, buying out to the Washington Post. Bezos, of course, being the Amazon billionaire, but also having a $600 million contract with the CIA. So, I, I mean, I think we know what side the mainstream media's bread is buttered on, and this is how it functions in this day and age. So, I mean, I, I think it's quite exceptionally obvious at this point, to anyone paying attention, that the media, the mainstream media that we have grown up with, if you are of a certain age, I suppose, uh, in the pre-internet era, is is at this point just a transparently laughable farce. It is transparently obvious that this is all coming from an extremely 
uh, uh, biased viewpoint, um, which is the viewpoint of the owners of the media. It's and and of course their cronies and and uh, the people that they serve in various financial capacities in in other industries. So this is this is the way that it's been structured, and I think that's extremely obvious. <clears throat> what to me is more insidious, and what I'm working on right now is an examination of well, of course, okay, everyone. Everyone with their head screwed on straight sees this and knows transparently that the mainstream media is not doing its job as a watchdog and, you know, guardian of, of the Republic or whatever. So the obvious thing is, well, okay, so everyone is, I mean, more and more people are turning online for their news now. That's not a secret. And uh, newspaper sales plummet, TV viewership plummets. So people are going online and they're discovering all these new ideas and they're on these social networks where people are spreading information that you don't get in the mainstream. So what is going to be the reaction of the same people who have been the guard, uh, the watchdogs, the, uh, the gatekeepers of the, the mainstream establishment narrative for generations? What are they going to do now? Are they just going to go, oh, no, oh, well, okay, well, I guess, you know, the cat's out of the bag. No, of course not. They're going to influence what is happening online, and they are going to disrupt and and to try to take over and try to break apart any groups out there online that are doing research and trying to, to uh, basically thwart their narrative. And that is happening right now in the social media space, and that's what I'm working on for a report that I'm going to be releasing soon at Corbett Report. Well, that sounds uh, very interesting. I want to ask you, you know, let's talk about the social media. We've seen U.S. Uh, congressmen and senators talk about these Russian bots who have been pushing for things like release the memo. Even Adam Schiff came out and talked about Russian bots uh, are promoting the Second Amendment. And I don't know where they get these notion of, of Russian bots. Is it just uh, is it the lies that have been compounded from the Russia collusion investigation or is there some, I mean, what we saw with this Mueller indictment of 13, you know, Russian people who started fake social media accounts, it seems like nothing. It's not important to the grand scheme of the election and what happened and who won that we see that there is no real influence or collusion between Trump and Russia. But we have this narrative of Russian bots. Do you think there's a real, whether it's a, a real threat from Russia or even manipulated or manufactured by our own government? Do you believe that there is a real Russian bot threat out there, or is this just a lie being made up to it, it is demonize? fake news. It is fake news, and I can tell you exactly where it is coming from. There is an excellent article up on moonofalabama.org right now. Everyone should go read. It's called Russian Bots, How an Anti-Russian Lobby Creates Fake News. And it breaks down this latest uh, story that uh, CNN, Russian bots promote pro-gun messages after Florida school shooting. Wired, pro-gun Russian bots flood Twitter after Parkland shooting. New York Times, after Florida school shooting, Russian bot army pounced. And they are all citing the work, quote-unquote, of this nebulous organization known, the, known as the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which, in conjunction with the German Marshall Fund is a public policy research group in Washington, and it created a website that tracks hundreds of Twitter accounts of human users and suspected bots that they, the uh, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, have linked to a Russian influence campaign. What does that mean? Well, when you look at this site that they've created, it's called Hamilton 68, and it tracks 600 Twitter accounts that they say... They, they, they assert these are some way connected to the Russian influence campaign. They're not saying they're Russians, but they're saying that they are somehow part of this Russian influence campaign. And what criteria do they use to put these 600 accounts on this list? People who often tweet RT, stories that appear on Russia Today uh, and Sputnik mm-hmm. News. Uh, two, people who openly profess to be pro-Russian, whatever that means. And three... <laughs> Accounts that appear to use automation to boost the same themes that the people in those first two groups are talking about. So that is their criteria for this list of 600 Twitter accounts that is the holy grail. This is the Russian bot. And so they, they track this and they say, uh, you know, this these hashtags are trending today amongst these 600 accounts. First of all, they don't tell you what accounts they're using. They don't let you see what accounts they're actually following because, you know, that would... That would give independent researchers something to actually look at and see, does this make sense? Is this an accurate representation? What what accounts are they choosing? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they don't tell you specifically, you know, how many are 
bots, how many they believe are humans, how many they think are actually Russian, how many are just uh, tweeting, you know, RT or whatever. Um, all of that. So there's this whole shroud around it. But it it ends up in the absolute imbecility of things. Like on Christmas Day, what was the top trending hashtag amongst the Russian influence operation? Merry Christmas. You know, yeah. so, wow, oh my God, it's the Russians. I knew it. It was the Russians yeah. all along. Um, and it gets even stupider because uh, people might know of Elliot Higgins, who's a belling cat, um, uh, this couch blogger in the UK who's become this expert on chemical weapons in Syria, even though he has no training and, and background in it. Anyway, he uh, he promotes the, the... He toes the line when it comes to issues like that, and as a result, it's heavily promoted. And in fact, I think now a, a fellow of the Atlantic Council, which is basically a NATO mouthpiece think tank and all of this. Um, well, he... Uh, Bellingcat, his his site's name, ended up as one of the trending hashtags on this Hamilton sixty eight dashboard one day, um, and as a result, the you know the the story is oh the Russian bots are attacking Bellingcat because he's going against the the narrative in the Ukraine or whatever, um, and and so the the Bellingcat community and Elliot Higgins himself took a look at this and said, oh, okay, well, what's going on here? And so they looked at the hashtag, Bellingcat hashtag, that the Russian bots were promoting. Oh, it's the Russian bots, everyone. And they found that, uh, what was it? There were um, six uh, accounts, six people had used that hashtag on Twitter over the last 48 hours, and none of them appeared to be pro-Russian. So a grand total of six people using a hashtag that didn't even, even by Elliot Higgins' own standards, didn't appear to have anything to do with Russian influence, uh, made it to the top of the, the Hamilton 68 dashboard as a trending hashtag amongst Russian bots. <laughs> it's total, transparent, ludicrous nonsense of the, uh, the most ridiculous order. But you will not read any of that in the New York Times or CNN or any of these other things. All you'll read is the, oh, Russian bots are promoting this hashtag, as told to us by this, you know, reputable think tank. And and it's just, I mean, it cannot get any stupider. And you almost wonder, you almost have to wonder at a certain point, okay, clearly this is the lowest rung of the propaganda ladder. This is meant for mm -hmm. people who just yep. do not have a critical thinking faculty in their two brain cells whatsoever. So... Clearly, this is, I mean, anyone who puts a shred of effort into this can see over top of this blatant propaganda. You have to wonder at a certain point, is this meant to start rounding people into categories of the people who will just swallow whatever they read? And then, oh, here we have some that can see, so we might have to create different traps for those people. I, I start to think that clearly, I mean, there is psychological research that goes on in the social media sphere. And the U.S. military is behind it. That is documented, and I can talk about that if you'd like. But clearly, they yeah. absolutely know, 1,000%, they know that people are not buying this propaganda in the way they used to. So I think they're creating new narratives for those people. And absolutely, I'd love to get into the way the governments and militaries are, are weaponizing information and using psychological warfare and other means of manipulation on its citizens. But I just want to throw out this this out there to finalize what your your point is. What's so different about this period that we are living in right now with the news, as you said, just so bad at trying to create lies and uh, make it seem legitimate. But there's another angle to this. It seems like people are thinking along their the political uh, leanings before they are using their common sense or critical thinking skills. It, it's become so partisan that you know you when you see uh, somebody who's on the left, they all agree on the same talking points. It's like, it's like they're reading from the same script, you know, gun, con uh, no, banning guns, yes, abortion, yes, pro-abortion, yes, and on and on and on until it seems like every last issue is in how people believe in these issues are dependent upon their political leanings. Now, I don't know if that's a, uh, a product of the age and environment we're in right now or if this is how everything's become so partisan that now everything is divided along these political lines. But I don't even know if the um, what people buy into the news today is based on fact or fiction. More instead, it seems to be based on what you hope would were to be true, based on your political leanings. So it's a very odd time to be um, in the news business, I guess. 
when we see this going on the way and how crazy it's gotten. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a good question as to the hyper partisanship and the, the, the basically everyone at each other's throats constantly, how much of that is, has, is new, how much of it has been brought to us by these new technologies that are putting people into information echo chambers where they can be hyper partisan and become radicalized to use the term that the government loves to use uh it is a it is a genuinely good question and i'm not sure i i know for sure i mean first of all i'm canadian so i only have my 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 experience growing up in canada to draw on but certainly from i cannot remember in the pre-internet slash early internet phase things being this hyper-partisan and and people being at each other's throats over political issues to this extent um but, I mean, if we step back into that era, everyone was watching the same nightly news, everyone was reading the yeah. same daily newspaper, there wasn't this flowering of information online, so people probably just didn't need to be um, split up, to, divided and conquered in that same way, uh, because everyone was on the same page reading the same hymn book, essentially. Um, so I think, I, and plus, I mean, look, I mean, I'm... I'm, I grew up in the 80s, so whatever was happening before that point, I, d- I can't really speak to. And, and I think the word that comes to mind for the era that we're living in, for me, is witch hunts. It's, it's becoming about witch hunts in a lot of different respects. Not only the kind of, you know, the, uh, I'm taking offense at everything. Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Let's get you fired kind of thing. But also um, witch hunts in the political sense, um, even, and, and, and part of that is part of the, the, the partisanship, the, uh, the kind of ideological purity that you, yes, here is the checklist. If you are a good leftist, you believe this. If you are a good person on the right, you believe this. And if you don't circle and, you know, cross every T and dot every I on, on that list, then you know, go to, go to, go to hell. Yeah. We don't want you anymore. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's really is that's, that seems to be ramping up and up and up. And again, I have to think this is part of psychological warfare that's being played on the t- public right now. It's, it's part of the divide and conquer because here's actually a point that I made in a video, uh, a few years ago. Um, Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to remember the name of the video, but it was something to do with uh, divide and conquer. But, uh, uh, the, the point of the video was when you looked at, the Tea Party movement, the, before it became this GOP thing, you know, that was clearly taken over by the, the establishment, the initial impetus for the Tea Party movement and the initial gatherings sounded and looked on the issues quite a bit like the initial Occupy kind of movement before, again, that got co-opted and, and shoved away. You know, again, the, the left and the right... Actually, they they agreed on a lot of things about corporate influence in politics and we yeah. got to get the money yeah. out and things like this. They they agreed on some fundamental issues, but they hated each other and they were taught to hate each other by again the media and whether it was you know John Stewart making fun of you know those stupid tea tea baggers and all of that nonsense that got paraded around you know the the two minutes of hate that was on. Every night, you know, let's hate the other side about this. Even though some of the points they're making are the same points that we're making, but they're, you know, wearing the wrong color, you know, on a suit or whatever. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's interesting to me to look at that. I think we, generally speaking, the public is more in the same boat than we tend to understand or realize because we are pitted at each other's throats all the time. Yeah, and... I definitely, as you mentioned earlier, would love to hear, uh, we, we see some of the ways, especially in, in the American media, now that it seems that the Hollywood uh, elite, the media, and political elite are all on the same page. We see how some of the ways governments uh, are using social media and, and manipulating, trying to manipulate public opinion. But if we can, let's get into uh, some of the ways that you point out in your latest podcast about the way not only the government, but also the military is influencing uh, public opinion and not only uh, trying to sway public opinion, but trying to uh, change it, manipulate it through even creating false news stories, lies and whatnot, and narratives that are, uh, you know, in some cases ruining lives and changing the perception of many to, you know, towards untruth and deception. And it seems so many today are snared by deception in many different ways. But yeah, let's break this down a little bit. 
All right. Well, do you remember a couple of years ago, the story came out that Facebook had been conducting a psychological experiment on people's news feeds in order to examine whether the way they tailor your news feed could affect your mood? Do you remember that story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that came out after the fact, of course, after they'd done it and they uh, manipulated... 700,000 users' news feeds without uh, obviously letting them know. Um, some saw positive news, others saw more negative news, and they basically examined um, the, the person's profile to see how they reacted to that and what their emotional state was after that. And when it came out, it was a big scandal because, you know, for what Facebook is manipulating our news feeds and doing experiments on us, what the, what's this all about? Well, actually, there was a follow-up to that that might have gotten drowned in the noise, which was that that was part of a broader... U.S. Department of Defense research program that was ongoing at the time under the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, um, which had a program. This was just one experiment within that program uh, called the Social Media in Strategic Communication. And you can go read about this on DARPA's website and you can read the documents and and, uh, listen to the founder talking about it. But basically, this program was a multi-year, I think it lasted officially, at least on the books, as far as we know, four years, and was funded to the tune of $50 million, and was all about, um, quote, developing tools to help identify misinformation or deception campaigns and counter them with truthful information. (laughs) Oh, doesn't that sound warm and fluffy coming from the Department of Defense, right? Oh, yes, truthful information from your loving government. Um, So... Part As part of this program, there were over 200 research papers that were published, and you can go and look at the list and read through the, the papers, and they were on some pretty interesting subjects. Uh, some of the titles of some of these papers, Incorporating Human Cognitive Biases in a Probabilistic Model of Retweeting, or Structural Properties of Ego Networks or sentiment prediction using collaborative filtering. Uh, I think you get the point. They are looking, they're examining very carefully social media and how it is used, how online communities form on social media, how they, 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 they form networks, how they, they influence each other, um, sentiment analysis and things like this. How can we better understand what people are feeling from just a few words in a tweet? Um, all of this is being diligently studied and uh, profusely um, hundreds of papers being published just under this one program to try to better understand the online space, social media, how it functions, and obviously as a corollary, as always with any defense defense research, it's always offense research at the same time. You can't have a, oh, it's a defensive bioweapons program. We're just, you know, defensively seeing how to create anthrax so that we know, you know, how the Russians will do it kind of thing. <laughs> Um, well, here it is exactly the same idea. It's, oh, we're just defensively looking into how things go viral and how to spread information online so that, quote, you know, dot, 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 we can use it ourselves. And we do know that there are uh, not just the Americans, but the Canadian government and others around the world have admitted that they are employing teams uh, to go on, on websites, in comment sections, in forums, and to post truthful information, to correct things that are wrong about people's perceptions of the government. Uh, that's utterly creepy, isn't it? And that breaks some long-standing ideas that people have, although it's not a part of law anymore. But, you know, in the U.S., at least theoretically, for a long time, the government was theoretically prohibited from using propaganda against its own citizens. Of course, it always did. But but uh, even those laws have been stricken from the books now. But, uh, you know, th- there's at least that idea that it's creepy and weird to, for the government to be doing that. But, uh, I mean, just think about the, the possibilities of this. So this goes back to my fundamental point that I've made many times over the years, which is humans are the most studied species on the planet. Uh, there's so much work that most people will never hear of, never see, never think about in their day-to-day lives, why would they go and read incorporating human cognitive biases in a probabilistic model of retweeting? Of course, no normal person is going to sit down and, and read something like that, but this is being diligently studied by hundreds, hey, that's on my hundreds nightstand. of insti- research institutions to try to better understand you and how you work and how to manipulate your behavior online. And uh, it's not even a question of being naive to think this isn't being used against us. They admit they're using these things against us. Absolutely. And who knows, I mean, how much more is out there 
that is uh, weaponized and used against us. Basically, everything that we do, everything we like, all that information is is gathered in databases and sold to companies. Yes. On top of everything else. Yes, it, and that's then, an important know. point. Let me just make that point because this social media in strategic communication program that DARPA was doing, this $50 million program, this was all open and uh, all their information was public and you know blah, blah, blah. There's nothing conspiratorial here. Um, but you're exactly right. This is just the the public face of this type of mm-hmm. research, and that you know, oh, here, here, public, we'll, we'll show you what we're doing. Meanwhile, and 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 of course, in their re- request for proposals that they put up on their website, it was all, uh, you know, it will only be we we'd like to see you coming up with programs where you you ask users for their participation in the program and blah 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 things like that. But of course, yes, you're exactly right. Underneath all of that, we know the NSA is absolutely gobbling up every bit of data that is traveling through the internet, through telephone, through satellite, all over the United States and around the world. They are gobbling that up. They're storing it in their Salt Lake City uh, uh, operation, their, their, their facility there. And absolutely, that is the database they're using. It's not this, oh, we're requesting participation of you know Twitter users in this one project or whatever. No, it's everything. Everything you do, everything you purchase online, everything, everyone you talk to, everyone you interact with, everywhere you go is being tracked, is being databased, and absolutely is being analyzed to better weaponize that information against you. No, you're absolutely right. And I don't know if you saw the recent study, maybe it was a week or two weeks ago, that showed people who used to spend a lot of time on social media who are spending less time on social media are actually in better moods. And they found that there is a correlation between internet activity or at least social media activity and uh, your mood and, and your behavior. Yes, and, and tie that back to all of the founders of all of these different platforms and and some of the developers and the people who were first working on it um, coming out and admitting they don't use social media anymore and they actively keep it away from their children. And uh, we had Sean Parker, who was one of the founders of Facebook, uh, just a couple months ago coming out and explaining uh, precisely why. It's because he said this was from the start. We were trying our best to weaponize. I think he used the word weaponize uh, these platforms to uh, exploit your psychological vulnerabilities, to keep you addicted to the screen, to keep you addicted to that dopamine hit of, oh, a new like, a new a new post, a new comment, and to get you, uh, yeah, to play your emotions. And of course, yes, absolutely. The, uh, the obvious part of this is when you step away from that craziness that you see in in those social media platforms yeah you do genuinely feel better so there's absolutely something to that and look at the uh what we just saw this week or or late last week the what was it the kid who didn't have his ipad and screamed for eight hours on an airplane they're learning that there is a a huge correlation uh between um you know children and looking at screens and a lack of imagination even one thing that's interesting with the reappearance of the x-files on um, Fox in their 11th season is they put all the old episodes on demand. And when I have time, I like to go back and watch those. And at the ending of one of the episodes, it reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode. They showed a way to kill a child's imagination and they had him sitting in a room with all these different TVs and whatnot. But it it takes on a new meaning today when everybody has basically a screen or a TV with their phone. And we see, uh, you know, this, this phenomenon of people who are, killing themselves, taking selfies or walking in the middle of the street without looking, getting hit by cars where guidelines are being issued in certain cities about phone use when out in public. And it's become such a problem, such an addiction. And you talked about the the dopamine. Is that what it is? No matter if it's the social media or playing games on the, what is it about people that they need to have that screen right in front of their face? And that really has, uh, you know, so much of our society has, is a part of this behavior constantly now. It's like nothing else yeah. matters except what's on that screen. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. So it is It is a dopamine hit, and it functions in a similar way that, uh, that it, addicts of various sorts, including cocaine or whatever else, get from the, uh, the, this, uh, the satisfaction of their craving. Um, and that, that isn't... But the, the worst part of it isn't, is that, uh, you know, for an alcoholic or a cocaine addict, uh, it's, it's something you do, you, you can only do so many times a day. But with this... Social media, it's constant. It never ends. It's 24-7, literally, any time, all the time, any time of the day. Mm-hmm. You can be sitting there in the screen and checking for new updates, checking for new posts, comments, likes. 
Um, and it, it, of course, is a feedback mechanism. The more you use it, the more you want to use it to get that, that next hit. And the more you need to use it to get the hit that you used to get when you, you know, it's that it's the exact same thing as any addiction where you, you kind of build up levels of tolerance. And there's, again, and there's been what, lots of studies of this. And uh, absolutely, the people who did this, who created these platforms, knew, they knew they were doing this. They purposefully made it this way so that people would become addicted. And, hey, mission accomplished. As you say, I mean, the idea of kids sitting in a room full of TVs seems so quaint these days, doesn't it? Considering, yeah, exactly, yeah. everyone is in their phone all the time now. And then one of the most obvious things that we, we haven't even discussed is the fact that, think about Facebook, you willingly put your photo, your, all your information on there, if you're married, who your friends are, where you go to school, what your employment is, when you go on vacation, where you go out of town. This is information that people would pay top dollar for, whether it's advertisers, even, uh, you know, people who are criminals and, and commit identity theft and burglaries and whatnot. Um, so this whole, you know, giving your information away for free, turning it over to Facebook has turned into probably just as big a business as advertising on some of these um, social media platforms. And that's just another area where people don't generally think of, well, why am I giving all my information yeah. You know, this isn't one of those things I just it's one of those topics where I wish we could just denature ourselves from what what has become naturalized. Just step outside of it for one second and think, you know, 20 years ago, even if if you had been told, yeah, you're going to just give all this information out at all times to the point where people are, you know, live tweeting or live blogging about wherever they are basically broadcasting to the world, hey guys, I'm not at home right now, come burgle my house mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, even to that extent, um, if you had told people 20 years ago or 30 years ago or imagine 50 years ago or 100 years ago telling people about that, that would be absolutely horrifying. But today, it's, well, you're not on Facebook? Are you weird? You know, it's that, it, uh, and in fact, there are employers that specifically discount potential new employees because they're not on Facebook. So there must be something strange about them. Um, it is, it, it's the exact inversion of what would have been nightmare at some point has become completely naturalized and normalized. And it's one of those things where yeah, you kind of get, you kind of get into it and you don't realize what you're stepping into because it happens bit by bit by bit, but suddenly the whole culture has shifted around it. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it seems like a, a war that we are losing as it, everything becomes more and more convenient, more and more normal. You know, they're basically giving phones away to anybody who will have them. Uh, schools are all and have all pretty much adopted computers. And we're moving towards that in that direction of, of more of a digital media, as we have been talking about throughout the broadcast versus the traditional mainstream media and, and what we see, how people used to gather their news all watching the same two, three, four channels. Um, now we see that there are uh, it's even to the point where if you prefer bias news, you can get bias news. Uh, on either side of the aisle, and, and there's so much out there, and it's a good thing, but it's always, uh, like anything, it's a double-edged sword, and moderation is, is key, especially with the, the social media stuff, and I try to stay as far away from social media as possible, um, but that's just me. Uh, I've uh, we, thankfully managed to make it a bit of a meme that uh, the Corbett Report is not on Facebook, and I've encouraged musicians uh, who are so inclined to make uh, ditties uh, about the Corbett Report is not on Facebook. I've had a few people submit songs already, so I've put up some music videos <laughs> about the Corbett Report is not on Facebook. Uh, I would love that kind of thing to go viral, but it, you know, maybe I'm tilting at the wrong windmill because Facebook is losing users and is becoming quickly uh, a social network for you know, grandmas and grandpas to check up on their grandchildren more so than anything else. So I think the cool people have moved on to I don't know, Snapchat. I, I genuinely, I, yeah, I genuinely so don't understand these new social media platforms. And I'm, I, I'm not exactly an old man yet, you know, I'm, but I'm already so disconnected from these new platforms that are coming up because what on earth was the point of Vine? I mean, it's gone now, I guess, but I could never wrap my head around the idea of these six second videos. I, what, what, <laughs> why? I get it for a joke here and there, sure, but to make an entire platform around that, it made no sense. And now Snapchat and Instagram and all this, I just, I just don't even get I've it. I've never so even I'm been on those, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. The, uh, we, we've seen um, Twitter. Twitter has been engaged, as well as YouTube has, in a number of censorship campaigns, specifically against conservatives and, and Christians, 
and it seems to be people who are trying to tell the truth. Uh, you said Facebook is is losing users. Is Google as powerful as the U.S. government? And is, are these social media platforms, do they have this kind of political influence and power? And will this get bigger? Or as you said, will they might, uh, some of these might, might fall off. But Google being the main one, uh, what, what, any, um, well, that's such an important question and, because yeah. the, the answer to that question really depends on us, doesn't it? It, it is ultimately mm-hmm. our decision, the extent to which these, these vehicles have control over our lives to a large extent, not, not completely. I mean, we're not completely controlling, uh, in control of ever, anything, but we have a, we have a say in this and we can turn to alternatives. We can recognize that there is a huge problem in all congregating on these few platforms that we know are controlled, are censored, are politically motivated in various ways. If we all congregate there and if we just say, ah, you know, there's, what are you going to do? It's, it's the best search engine, so I got to use it. Or, you know, YouTube is the best video platform, so I've got to use it. If we do that, then obviously we are, we are, we are the problem. We're not, we're not victims of the problem anymore. If we are actively collaborating and making that problem continue and grow, then we are the problem. So it is it is really up to us. And I think that's the hopeful part about this, because look, we're talking about all the negative effects of all of this, but the positive is that I am sitting here now talking to you from my apartment in Japan, from my house in Japan, and we're having this conversation that in any other era of human history wouldn't have even been imaginable, let alone possible. And I, I wouldn't be here doing the Corbett Report. The Corbett Report website wouldn't exist. I have no idea. I guess I'd still be teaching children to say I like apples in Japan or something if, if this wasn't the internet era. So there's, there's something very positive about this. And the thing about the internet medium is that it is an interactive medium to a certain extent anyway, certainly more so than television or print, where you are simply a passive vehicle that is just being spoken to, well, now you can speak back, you can have conversations, you can contribute, you can become a YouTube star or whatever. You can be you can be active in that. And of course, a lot of people will still just use this as a passive vehicle to just accept whatever is coming at them. But more people are becoming part of that conversation. That is hopeful. But of course, the underlying part of all of this is if we just dev- dev- devolve or r- resort back to the old previous paradigm where there were a few gatekeepers that everybody turned to and everybody went there, and then it's the same thing. We're just replicating the same reality on the internet. So I've talked about this a number of times, and I've put up uh, a, a number of things about uh, alternative search engines, alternative email uh, services you can use, alternative video platforms and alternative social media sites that aren't part of this controlled platform nexus that has been created online. And it is a choice that we're making. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there is the network effect. So just because you have millions and millions and millions of people using YouTube or using Google or whatever, it, then it becomes more useful than some other alternative network that only has a few hundred users. Um, but if we don't if we don't make that decision, if we don't give take back our power, then it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse and more centralized and more in the control of these handful of corporations. No, you're exactly right. And um, as much as, and maybe this is why we see the mainstream media uh, diving so so far off the deep end with their their lies and and their stories, is because there are, as you said, so many alternative. Uh, channels and means of information out there that do tell the truth that people do gravitate to uh, because they care more about the truth than political narratives and maybe the you know CNNs of the world and the MSNBCs uh, see that their control over these narratives are declining especially it is uh, evident when you see things like uh, you know this Robert Mueller and the media have been pushing this Russian collusion for so long as though it's already a foregone conclusion and the proof has come out Yet when we see these indictments like this, you know, over half the population here and, and the real media pick it apart uh, to where it, it's a joke within 24 hours, uh, anybody trying to, to say otherwise. And there is power in that, a lot of power in that versus what we would have seen if this was 30 years ago going through this, where you would get one set of talking points and, you know, one narrative per event. We see uh, lots of options out there and, and the 
the the thoughts and and minds of people really expanding out there. But it is a problem when people only gravitate to the information that they believe is important to them or only they believe is the truth or wish was the truth. These echo chambers, as it were, that we see so often on different parts of the Internet and specifically on the, the left wing media at this point. And then censorship is another issue that we're having to deal with. But as long as there are people out there creating the content and continuing to uh, you know, share that, there will always be outlets for us to use. But do you see the Internet becoming a place of like we're seeing in, in Europe where you are seeing comments being labeled as hate speech and people are being prosecuted for even calling out an Islamist t- terror attack? Uh, that being labeled hate speech. Do you see a time in America where that will you think that will ever be true with the Internet? More so than the boot of government stamping on the people's face. I think the the more the the bigger question really is about these uh, corporations and the, the the internal policies that they the terms of service that they put up. Because you know, I mean, Google can can do what it wants when it when it decides to move remove a YouTube channel. It's their platform. They can remove you if they want, or you know, you know, fill in the blank with any other social media site or any other site like that where they control it and they let you use it then yeah they can choose what to do and they can censor reality they can they can censor you off their platform if they don't like what you're saying or the way you're saying it um so that i think is the the more the more chilling idea i think because ultimately laws uh, are always people will revolt at a certain point when it comes too deeply into their their personal lives like that but when it's these faceless corporations and it's their platform and what can you do and the worst part is that people won't even know to a large extent that they're being manipulated because the voices that are being censored off those platforms, if they're only going to those platforms, they'll never hear to know about anyway. But yes, there are ideological echo chambers obviously being created right now. And and we mentioned a couple of times about the biased news sources. My position is there is no such thing as an unbiased news source. I do not, I think the idea, um, I, John Pilger talked about this in a, a, a really in a way that really drives it home, that the idea of professional journalism, as as we kind of grew up with, um, was created about a century ago uh, by the, the the corporations at that time and the the political cronies and the banker cronies and that uh, that were connected that wanted to create this establishment narrative, the status quo. Here's the left side of this debate, and here's the right, and you can argue anywhere in there. Just don't look anywhere outside of those that spectrum. Um, that's that was established uh, consciously about a century ago, and has been the at least for again for I I am starting to talk like an old man because I'm not sure the younger generation this applies to in the Welcome same to way. The club, but for Jim. me growing up, it was always the idea of you know here's the the establishment professional journalist who gets the quote from this person and the quote from this person and says, well, you know, it's up to you to decide. That's unbiased, objective journalism. Uh, that was a pipe dream. It always was because at the most basic level, every editorial decision is comes from a state of bias. Even what you report on and what you do not report on mm-hmm. is a bias. It comes from bias. I mean, if you choose not to report on whatever, Building 7 or whatever it is, um, if you don't report on it, it's, it's because you have decided that that is not a priority. It doesn't, you know, it's not It's not the thing I'm going to look at. It's not the thing we're, we're going to invest our reporters' time on. And as a result, it never gets talked about. It never gets reported. That is a, a bias. And it's a bias that people don't even see or don't even think about generally. What do you report on? What do you not report on is a biased decision. So I think the point is that all news comes from a biased source because we're all biased as human beings. We all have certain ideas and pre preconceptions and what have you. The point is to know the bias, the the tendency of any outlet that you're looking at and be able to take that into account when you're looking at the information and to be able to balance that with information from other sources. So um, I see the, the there's absolutely right. Yeah. There's kind of the double bind of um, of the mainstream sort uh, obviously only only crediting itself and establishment sources and professional journalists and all of that. So anyone in the independent space is just a crazy lunatic. Uh, what you have a different idea of what happened in Ukraine or Syria or whatever. Oh, you're, you're insane. Um, but on the other side, you have the, the online independent alternative media that kind of there's, there is a police watchdog thing that goes on there where, you know, if you cite a report from 
Reuters or whatever. Oh, look, you're 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 promoting Reuters. Why do you why are you promoting them? Why do you believe them? The point is, information is information, and you have to take it knowing what the source is and where it, you know the the bias is coming from and filtering through that. But you have to get the information from different sources and be able to piece it together that way. Because if you're only getting it from one one channel, one source, one one stream, then you are going to have a exceptionally skewed worldview. And I think that is part of the problem of what's happening now with this hyper-partisanship and people getting more and more caught up because they can concentrate so so uh, so much of their information basically coming from the same types of sources. Well, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground here, uh, James, and we only got about six, seven minutes left. And uh, a great conversation and insight on media, media biases and the different uses uh, whether it is governments, militaries, whether it is people. And we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, folks, make sure you go to CorbettReport.com. That's the cor- that's CorbettReport.com. There you can get all the articles and audio as well as video content. And I wanted to make sure we ask you this. I know we spent most of the time talking about the media. Well, from your perspective in Japan, even from, I don't know if, how much in, the, in your media you see this, what's going on in Syria? Why are all these countries, if ISIS is allegedly defeated or reported to be defeated, why are we seeing all these increased deaths from Iranians and and Russians and U.S. and these conflicts continuing? Why are we still seeing so much happening in Syria when the conflict has been going on for so long? It seems that things should be over. I know Assad's not gone, but that really wasn't the the goal, uh, the stated goal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. And that's the question we should be hearing on any, you know, establishment news site. But for some reason, we never hear that. Yeah, why? What is going on? Why are they still there? So what's the what's what is happening now at at this point? You know, after uh, 90% plus, depending on the poll, depending on the day, depending on whatever, um, of the people of Syria are now not in support of Assad, but in support of the Syrian government. And and uh, kicking out the jihadis, which seems like a pretty reasonable position for a lot of people. Why Why are we still there? And what's going on? And it's been, what, seven years now of this? Well, actually, over a decade, if you go back to on the record, we know from leaked documents, we know that the Bush administration was funding the Syrian opposition since 2006, whatever operations were going on before that point. So we know that this has been in the crosshairs for over a decade at this point. What on earth is still happening? Why is there still combat happening and people dying and what what's going on? Uh, excellent question. And the, the fundamental underlying answer to that is that it isn't about Syria per se. It never was about Syria or the Syrian people. Of course, that's the fig leaf that is always used for any intervention in any place whatsoever. The exact same way in 2011, it's the Libyan people. Oh, we have to help the Libyan people from their cruel, oppressive tyrant Muammar Gaddafi. We have to go in there and let the bombs fly, and that will save the Libyan people. So we went in there and let the bombs fly, and Gaddafi died. Yay! Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, as Hillary Clinton laughed about the news, uh, we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> um, and yeah. yay, mission accomplished, right? So, okay, the Libyan people are saved. Let's wash our hands and walk away. And now you have open slave markets functioning in Libya. Not a peep from the press. Who cares? Libya? That is so yesterday's news. Libyan people? Why would you care about that? We, we saved them, right? Um, that is, I mean, so the humanitarian intervention nonsense is always total nonsense. It's not about helping the people of Syria against their cruel, oppressive tyrant regime. It is about the geopolitical and other interests that are behind the toppling of Assad. And uh, that, unfortunately, that, that, that nexus has nothing to do with the Syrian people themselves. It has to do with power relations between Russia and the U.S. and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and Qatar and all these different people who want their finger in that pie for different reasons. It's uh, and now it's just a total mess. And ha- the question is, how do you how do you extricate yourself from that mess without you know losing an important part of the chessboard and all of this? So like like so many of these operations, it really has nothing to do with the people themselves. It has nothing to do with the country itself. It has to do with the geopolitical objectives that are being uh, waged uh, in that theater, using these people as basically chess pieces, as pawns. And it's so unfortunate to see after the stats came out in 2014 and hundreds of thousands of people 
dead in, in civil war and conflict in these countries. Specifically, that was just in Syria, those numbers. Who knows what it's at today? And we, ha- it seems, are have more countries in Syria now than ever before. And the proxy battles that are ongoing, we just saw the U.S. and uh, these Russian civilians, which is such a weird story, who apparently are over there as mercenaries or on their own, according to the Russian government, who were at- attacked the U.S. base and hundreds of them were killed, just creating all, all this craziness over there. And I don't get, especially with the Trump administration, somebody who ran on national sovereignty, you know, no... Uh, wars that are undeclared, why we haven't seen a reversal of some of these policies. And I guess with the public's attention in this country, uh, so much so on the uh, the hyper-politicalization of everything, things like Syria are not important. If they're not on the mainstream's radar, they're not really on the administration's radar. Yeah. I guess, you know. Cause and and that's getting... the worst part of this, is that, again, it gets put into the political football game so that uh, people who would have when Obama was letting the bombs fly and the, the guns uh, shipped to, to Syria were all against it. But now it's happening under Trump. So it's like, ah, oh, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Oh, what are you going to do? Oh, you know, we got we to gotta be there. So it, it, it happens every time and it'll continue to happen. When Bush was doing it, it was a horrible thing to the left. When Obama was doing it, it was, uh, you know, we got to do it. When uh, Obama was doing it, it was a horrible thing from the right. When Trump's doing it, oh, you know, we got to do it. So... It just it's that's the game. And unfortunately, that is the stupidest, simplest psychological trick in the book. And it continues to work. And they're going to continue to do it through administration after administration after administration. Yeah, if it's, uh, you know, why fix it if it's not broke? Our guest, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. We only got about a minute left. Anything you got going uh, upcoming or a podcast you want to promote? Anything you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Yes. Well, as I say, I am working on that uh, podcast about the weaponization of social media. So I'm hoping to have that up in the next week or two, um, at any rate, in the near future. And in the meantime, of course, people can check out CorbettReport.com. That's my site where I have literally thousands and thousands of hours of audio and video completely free, available for download. Um, You can check out my articles and all of that. So uh, that's the one-stop shop for all of my information. And uh, I hope people will use it as a resource. That's what it's intended to be. Again, I have my own perspectives and my own biases and my own position that I'm coming from. So I hope people take that into account and just use the information that you can verify for yourself. That's what it always comes down to. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. And I'll keep an eye on uh, Corbett Report, and I will definitely post that podcast on our channel when it does uh, become public. And we will talk about it, and we'll have to absolutely have you back on. This Great. is a fascinating show. I, I, I was just it, just it captured through this by this conversation. Go ahead, Joe. Take him, take him out. James, thank you so much for, for joining us. We'll have to have you back on, and again, we'll promote your podcast as when it comes out dealing with some of what we touched on tonight thank you so much all right thank you anytime when we come back a little change of schedule usually stand out